Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. They made this decision solely on the basis of how they felt instead of seeking the Lord's word on the matter. They did not seek the Lord. They made this decision to enter into this peace agreement with these people who had deceived them because they simply relied, solely relied on the provisions that they had sampled. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Ezra. In today's text, we'll hear how the Jewish people made a peace treaty with their enemies without seeking first the Lord on the matter. Making decisions without first inquiring of the Lord is the most dangerous thing you can possibly do. Pastor J.D. will be exhorting us to never make any decisions based on our own understanding. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of this broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. in Ezra chapter 2 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Our names are written not just in the Lamb's Book of Life. They're written in this book, this book of remembrance. What's a book of remembrance? It's a book of remembrance. I know that's profound, but it's a book to remember the names of those who feared the Lord, those who trusted the Lord, those who served the Lord. Now, we know to be true that the name is the nature. And I want to talk just a little bit about the nature of the names. Throughout the Old Testament, we see this with names like Isaac, pronounced in Hebrew Yitzhak. In my native tongue of Arabic, it's Yitzhak. Literally means laughter. And you know the, the nature of his name was that it was laughable that Abraham at age 100 and Sarah at age 90 would have a son, a biological son. A son would be born to a 90-year-old woman. And when Abraham said to his wife Sarah, God has appeared to me and told me that one year from the day we are going to have a son. And she laughed. (laughs) That's really good, honey. That's really funny, honey. And so that's what he was named. Literally, laughter. If I said to you in Arabic, Anna yithak alikum, I'm saying that, that's not actually very nice. I'm saying I'm laughing at you. I should say I'm laughing with you. (laughs) Maybe I'll say that. Anna yithak, yitzak, Isaac, Laugh, I'm laughing with you. Ma'akum. It literally means laughter. The name is the nature. My name in Arabic, Wahid, is the nature of who I am. Wahid in Arabic means one. The number one. The numbers one through five are wahid, tanin, talata, arba, khamsa. So my name, <laughs> I mean, it's pretty cool, right? Literally means number one. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, that's because I was the firstborn, number one born son. In the Arabic Bible, wahid means when referring to the only begotten son, al-wahid, al-wahid, the only one, the only begotten son. So the nature of the name is that the name is 
the nature. Now, what I want to talk about here is that these names that we just read through that boring list, and there's a few more to come, by the way, was actually the practice of the day when not only would the Jews name their... In fact, they wouldn't even name them right when they were born. They would actually wait until they saw what the personality of the child was before they would name them. Now, I have two sons, Elias and Levi, and the name is sort of the nature because Elias means the Lord answers prayer, and Levi, the name that uh, also has uh, meaning. And but if we would have waited to see what kind of their you know personality was before we named them accordingly, we probably wouldn't have named them Elias and Levi. We would probably would have named them Search and Destroy because that was more the nature of what. what, what <laughs> I digress. (laughs) Now, they gave them these names, and when they were in captivity, they gave them Persian names. They gave them Babylonian names. When we get to the book of Esther, that's not her name. That was her given name, and actually a Persian name. When we get to the book of Daniel, in like probably 20 years from now, by the time we get there, but when we get to uh, Daniel, we're going to read about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those are Babylonian names that were given to them instead of their Hebrew names. It's interesting, and I I just want to share this because I think there's something to it, but one commentator noted the meaning of some of the names that we just read, and it kind of gives you an idea of who these people were. I mean, they're they're gnarly names on the pages of our Bible, but they're named that for a reason. So let me just give you an example. Parash means flee. How would you like to be named flee? (laughs) Shephatiah means Yahweh has judged. Arah means wild ox. Zakai means either pure or it's a shortened form of Zechariah. Bani is a shortened form of Baniah, meaning Yahweh has built. Babai means the pupil of the eye. Asgad means Gad is strong. Adonikam means my Lord has arisen. How cool is that one? Adin, I don't want to get into this one, means voluptuous. Let's move on. Atur means lefty, probably left-handed. And so the name is the nature. Bezai is a shortened form of Bezalil, and it means in the shadow of God. Jorah means autumn rain. Hashum means <laughs> broad nose, which probably means that he had, well, a broad nose. And then Gibar, lastly, means strong man. Doubtless, he was a very strong man. Verse 43, now we get to these Nethanim. The sons of Ziha, the sons of Hasufa, the sons of Teboath, the sons of Keros, the sons of Saiha, the sons of Padon, the sons of Lebanah, the sons of Hagabah, the sons of Akub, the sons, verse 46, of Hagab, the sons of Shalmai, the sons of Hanan, the sons of Gedel, the sons of Gehar, the sons of Rahiah, the sons of Razin, the sons of Nekoda, the sons of Gazam, the sons of Uzzah, the sons of pa- Paseah, the sons of Besai, the sons of Asna, 
the sons of Meunim, the sons of Nephusim, the sons of Babuk. If you're looking for a name for a child, right here, you got a sons of Hakupha, the sons of Harhur, the sons of Bazluth, the sons of Mahida, the sons of Harsha, the sons of Barkos, the sons of Sisera, the sons of Tamah, the sons of Neziah, and the sons of Hatifa. Okay, who are these Nathim, these Nethanim? We, it's believed that they're actually a diverse people group which would include the descendants of the Gabeonites. Now, why is that interesting? Because there's an interesting story behind these Gabeonite uh, people. These were the people who disguised themselves as travelers from a far country in order to make a peace agreement with Joshua so they wouldn't be killed like all of the neighboring peoples. So they were actually successful in deceiving him. And even though Joshua was deceived, he still honored this treaty with them, but he makes them servants as hewers of wood and drawers of water. And I find it interesting that they were amongst the people that would leave and go back to Jerusalem. Now, here's what I want to uh, mention, because I think it's really apropos to our understanding of what happened. It's not so much that Joshua was deceived as much as it is why Joshua was deceived. And we see why in Joshua chapter 9. I want to read verses 9 through 14. So they said to him, from a very far country your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God, for we have heard of his fame and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon king of Heshbon and Og king of Bashan, who was at Ashtaroth. Therefore, our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us, saying, Take provisions with you for the journey, and go to meet them, and say to them, We are your servants. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. This bread of ours we took hot for our provision from our houses on the day we departed to come to you. But now, look, it's dry and moldy. That's a lie. They just traveled from the next town over, as it were, and they brought moldy bread to try to deceive Joshua into thinking they came from a faraway land. And these wineskins which we filled were new, and see, they are torn, and these our garments and our sandals have become old because of the very long journey, which is also a lie. They put on bus-up clothes and bus-up sandals and made it look like they had been traveling from a long, for a long time from a faraway place, which they hadn't. Then I want you to notice what we're told in verse 14. It says, and the men of Israel, this would be Joshua included, took some of their provisions, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. Now stay with me because there's something here that I think is very important for us to understand. What we're told in verse 14 about them not inquiring of the Lord, 
should send chills up and down every single one of our spines. And the reason why is because they didn't inquire of the Lord because they had first sampled their provisions. What's the point? Well, here's the point. They made this decision solely on the basis of how they felt instead of seeking the Lord's word on the matter. They did not seek the Lord. They made this decision to enter into this peace agreement with these people who had deceived them because they simply relied, solely relied on the provisions that they had sampled. We have a similar account in Genesis where Isaac, like Joshua, makes a decision based on feelings and not the Word of God. It's recorded in Genesis 27. And before I read the account, I want to first give you a backstory, kind of refresh your memory of this interesting account. It's when Isaac is deceived by his son Jacob. He's blind at this point in his life. He's near death, and he's about to give his blessing to Esau before he dies. But his wife, Rebecca hears of it and comes up with this deceptive plan to deceive her husband to instead of giving Esau the blessing, to give the blessing to Jacob. And so in order to deceive Isaac, she makes this venison like Esau and gives it to Jacob, dresses him up so that he looks like and feels like and even smells like his twin brother Esau, who we're told was very hairy. So she puts these animal skins on his arms to make him feel hairy like Esau and smelly <laughs> like Esau and makes the venison because, you know, before he's about to die, Isaac says to Esau, go out and get, you know, some venison and make it for me. You know the way I like it. And then come back and I'll give you the blessing before I die. And I have to understand in that culture at that time, and it's really the same way today, modern day, it is so important to get the blessing as the firstborn son from your father before he dies. And this is what they're both after, actually. Well, verse uh, 18, Genesis 27 So he, speaking of Jacob, disguises Esau, went to his father Isaac and said, My father, and he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Remember, he's blind. He can't see. So he asks, Who is it, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done just as you told me. Please arise, sit, and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, he's he's kind of skeptical here. He says, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And he said, because the Lord your God brought it to me. Good save. That's pretty clever. You got to hand it to Jacob. Remember, he's pretty, you know, he's pretty clever. So, verse 21, Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son. 
feelings, <laughs> nothing more than feelings. And by the way, he's about to make this major far-reaching decision solely on the basis of feelings. So he says, Come near that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. He's still doubting. Something doesn't quite feel right, no pun intended. So, verse 22, Jacob went near to Isaac his father, and he felt him and said, The words I hear, the voice I hear, is Jacob's voice, but... The hands, the hands I feel, are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize it because his hands were hairy, like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. Verse 24, then he said, and he's still doubting, are you really my son Esau? And what's Jacob's response? He said, I am, liar deceiver, heel snatcher. Oh, by the way, talk about the name is the nature. You know what Yahob means? Yahob means heel snatcher. Remember when he was in the womb? Even before he was born, he was trying to grab Esau's heel so he could be the firstborn of the twins in the womb. He was, the name was the nature. So he's born and mom and dad say, you little heel snatcher you, we're going to have to name you Yahob, Jacob. And then, by the way, the name is the nature. What does God do? No longer will you be heel snatcher, con man, Yahob. You will be Israel, ruled by God. Israel, possessed by God, ruled by God. That will be your name. And remember, by the way, when he changed his name, his nature, it was after Jacob was wrestling with the Lord. This is the Lord himself. This is what's known as a Christophany, a pre-Bethlehem appearance of Jesus Christ himself in the Old Testament. When he's wrestling with the Lord himself all night, demanding that the Lord bless him. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. To which the Lord, in a sense, said, well, I can't bless you till I break you. So he touched his hip socket and changed him for the rest of his life. Changed his walk, if you prefer, for the rest of his life. And once he broke him, then he was able to bless him. And in blessing him, he changed his name to Israel instead of Yahom. So again, dad's still skeptical. He says, are you really my son Esau? He says, I am. He said, bring it near to me and I will eat of my son's game so that my soul may bless you. He's still not quite convinced. Okay, the arms feel like Esau. The words I hear, the voice I hear still seems like it's Jacob. So I know, let me taste of the venison and then I'll know. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, (laughs) one more test here. I wonder if Jacob's still sweating it out here. Come near now and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him. And listen to this. 
And he smelled the smell of his clothing and blessed him and said, Surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. The feeling he felt, the smell he smelt, he made this decision based on that and not on the word he heard. Because the word he heard was Jacob. The feeling he felt, the smell he smelled, was Esau. And he made the decision based on his senses, his feelings, his touch, sight with Joshua, and not the word. Not seeking the word of the Lord, even though, and this is what is so fascinating to me, even though the words Isaac heard sounded like Jacob, he went against the word he heard and made this decision based on what he felt, what he smelt. You know where I'm going with here, where I'm headed with this, right? We do err greatly, don't we? When we make decisions, especially major decisions in our lives based on our feelings. You know, how, how do you feel about it? Years ago, many, many years ago now, when I was in sales, they always taught us to say to the man, ask the man, what do you think? And ask the woman, how do you feel? Think about that. In making this decision, what do you think? How do you feel? And, well, <laughs> What what are we told? If it feels good, do it. No. <laughs> if, if it feels good, do it. Are you kidding me? We walk by faith, not by feelings. Right? We make decisions based on the Word of God. Not on how we feel. Not on what our senses are. And... Think about this. Look at the far-reaching ramifications of this decision by <laughs> Isaac. Are we not still dealing with it today, all these generations later, with the Jews and the so-called Palestinians who try to lay illegitimate claims all the way back to Ishmael? That's a whole nother lesson to be learned for a whole nother time. That, that has to do with helping God out. Doing in the flesh what God wants to do supernaturally in the spirit. We're going to actually be talking about that, this issue of self-reliance. The book of Ezra is a shining example of how God always keeps his promises. Seventy years earlier, when the Israelites went into captivity and exile, God promised that they would return and rebuild his temple. In the book of Ezra, we watch that promise fulfilled. What has God promised you? You can believe that He'll fulfill it in His perfect time. We're so glad you tuned in today. Pastor J.D. has a lot more to share with us from this Old Testament book. But you can listen to more messages right now by visiting InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. Just click on Listen. 
And here's Pastor J.D. with an invitation to share with you. Yes, I'd like to invite our In Spirit and Truth listeners to join us for our weekend editions in which I do a Bible prophecy update. We look at current events happening around the world and how they relate to specific prophecies in the Bible. We broadcast these updates each Friday and Saturday, or you can find previous updates on our YouTube channel, and you can find the link at In Spirit and Truth Radio. Thanks, Pastor J.D. We'd love to be a part of your day always, so we've made it easy to connect with us. You can download our mobile app for Apple or Android, find us on Facebook and YouTube, and even subscribe to our podcast by searching for In Spirit and Truth in the iTunes Store. Find out more by visiting our website, InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. Thank you so much for joining us today. Pastor J.D. will continue teaching through the book of Ezra again with you next time. So join us right here on In Spirit and Truth. With you, with holding me true.